When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey everybody, welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Hithliday. I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Joining me this week is one of the great writers for ATQ, Slurms Back Court. How you doing? I'm very well. Yourself? Oh, not bad. Uh, so, uh, we are finally exiting the doldrums as we call them around here. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Oregon athletics is, you know, our bread and butter. And, uh, you know, we like to cover, you know, when Oregon athletics plays and they don't do that that much during uh, July and August, but, uh, women's soccer has started up. Uh, we're offering coverage, you know, every time they play, we had two different articles about media availabilities. Um, uh, from Badwater, who's who's been doing a great job bulldogging this stuff, including uh, you know getting an interview with head coach Graham Abel, um, which is you know yeah. pretty insightful. I thought um, that was real, actually really important because having that kind of access and willingness for coaching staffs and uh, perhaps in some cases even players, uh, it, it can really help with the the insights into what's going on in the programs. Sure. And, and like, you know, you're not going to get a better source uh, for, you know, strengths and weaknesses of the program than, than the coach himself, you know. Uh, Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, next up in terms of getting started is women's volleyball. We'll, we'll be just as aggressive in, in covering that. Uh, and then football starts shortly thereafter. Uh and um, right now, the Ducks football team is in fall camp. Uh, we've been getting daily practice reports, um, which are, uh, uh, you know, there's a bit of a, a Pravda uh, element to them. They are sort of uh, state news. Um, but, uh, Slurms, you have been uh, sifting through the practice reports to find the nuggets of wisdom, and uh, you've got an article that's going to be going up uh, tomorrow. We're recording this on Friday night. Slurms, your article is going to be going up on Saturday, uh, summarizing the recent Oregon football practices. Um, why don't you give us a little sneak preview? Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. Listen, um, so th- the Ducks have basically done about two full weeks of practice. They've had a couple of days off here and there. They've had one scrimmage, which was last Saturday. They'll have a scrimmage tomorrow, Saturday. Again, we're recording on Friday night, so it's tomorrow, uh, where, you know, hopefully what, what the coaching staff wants is all of the lessons that have been, they've been teaching the last week after the previous scrimmage will be put on the field and tested out to see who is it that has made progress in the areas that the coaching staff is, is hoping those players will make progress in? One of the things that's coming out of the practice sessions, you're starting to hear this, I think, more and more frequently, 
uh, is an important thing, and that has to do with player leadership growth. Sometimes in, in Oregon's football past, you've had teams where uh, the players didn't want to or couldn't figure out how to show leadership. And coaches can can teach all they can. They can try to motivate all they want. Um, but what happens on the field is something that comes from the players. And so when you can, you can rise to a level where your players are the ones showing the leadership and they're holding each other accountable rather than the coaching staff having to try to hold them accountable, uh, the players have a chance to get much better very quickly because who do we respond to? Mostly we respond to what our peers expect of us. Uh, it's similar in some ways, I guess, to, you know, to being in a foxhole with a guy during wartime and you've got his back and he's got yours and you have to be able to trust that person to do their job. And so this is where you're starting to see, I think, a lot of, of growth. And Coach Lupoy talked about this in an interview a couple of days ago where he's starting to see a lot of that leadership in players start to rise to the surface and some players growing in their leadership ability. Uh, and the main thing that's happening, I think, in, in some of this is some of these players are gaining leadership opportunities because they're getting the respect of their fellow players by how hard they're working. And that's one of the things that the staff has been emphasizing all along. And it's something I wrote about a week ago in my practice report is let's work every minute that we have available to practice. Let's not uh, start slow and work up to it. Let's not work hard and then sort of fall off at the end of practice effort wise. So that's where the staff is trying to get players and having player leadership is one of the great ways to get that to happen. Um, Coach you know, Lance, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, you do you. Well, it, you know, it's interesting on, on the subject of player leadership. Um, you know, I, I, I come at fo football from film study. You can't see leadership on film study. Right. And so, uh, you know, I, I am inclined to sort of, you know, often sort of dismiss that stuff. But then, you know, when I start, when I break stuff down, you know, and, and having done this for a long time, like you can, th there are, there is simply a different level of performance between teams that are made up of young hot shots um, and teams that are full of, of uh, veterans, um, even if those veterans are a little less talented. Um, you know, leadership doesn't totally make up for talent. Like if there's a yawning talent void, you know, it doesn't matter how much, right. you know, you know, veteran status you've got, you're going to get creamed by the superior athletes um, if they're that much better than you. But it is nonetheless, the you know, ceteris paribus, you know, if I'm looking at two equally talented teams, but one of them, you know, you can definitely see, um, you know, the, the veterans. And also the other thing about doing film study and, and like, you know, that, that I'll chip in here on that subject is that like, there's a lot of on-field communication that happens that you don't necessarily pick up on when you're watching in real time. But like right. when you're rewatching plays or watching them in slow motion, you can see the sort of communication and there are definitely like more voluble 
and communicative, you know, team members, especially you see it on the defense um, Mm -hmm. where, you know, you got to be able to instantaneously react to what's happening. It's sort of spreading around like, oh, look, that dude's in motion. That means this is going to happen and you need to fall back into that coverage and you need to spin down, you know, like you, you, you are actually able to see that on film. Um, And And that's one of the things that I was going to say, that's one of the things that Jeff Bassa talked about. Uh, as far as communication goes, he's trying to be more vocal. But the other thing he was saying is, from a leadership standpoint, he's trying to learn to recognize uh, the sets that the offense has. And they've seen this before, and we know what they're going to do out of this set or approximately what they're going to do and get, get in the play calling from him to the rest of the defense earlier so that guys have more of a chance to, you know, another second or two or whatever it is, to think about this is what happened the last time this play was run. Yeah. So for anybody who sort of, you know, I, I understand the, the, the impulse sort of roll your eyes at that sort of stuff. Cause it kind of sounds like coach speak. And a lot of times that's kind of just nonsense, um, you know, or to cover up, you know, not wanting to give away state secrets, uh, right. you sort of talk or talk about fluffy stuff like that, but like, no, at least an element of that. No, it's real. You know, like, you know, veteran leadership is worthwhile um, and and does, you know, provide real value. And it's a game of split seconds and it's a game of inches. And if you have one, you know, uh, half a step, you know, faster, you know, half a step, you know, earlier because you recognize it or because, you know, a leader on your team has given you some guidance on that. Um, yeah, that's the difference between, you know, stopping the play and letting the play go big on defense or or. Mm-hmm. or you know, the other way around on offense. Um, yeah, it's real. You know, it, it, it's not, you know, it's not worth talking about a hundred percent of the time, which is what, you know, some of the, the, the podcasts I listen to and it you know, makes me, you know, ball my fists in rage. Cause I'm like, why, why the hell do you film study? If that's the only thing you need to talk about, um, yeah. you know, it certainly is not totally predictive of games. You know, I, I watch, no. and in fact, I've seen the opposite happen all the time. You know, there's a team to Oregon's North that I think, you know, for years overvalued, you know, senior leadership uh, versus, you know, young talent and, uh, and, and dug themselves in a hole as a result uh, of that. You can definitely take it too far, but it is a real phenomenon and it is good to see and is good to hear uh, people talking about. And, and last thing, I'll say on the subject of leadership, because I want to ask you a couple more questions about how practices are going, um, is that like, you know, for a while there, you know, Oregon was in a real recruiting hole, um, you know, starting around, you know, 2016, you know, that there were just so the 2015 class was a decent class, but so many of those dudes were busts. And then the 2016 class was sort of a nightmare. Um, and it was you know, arguably, in my opinion, one of the biggest reasons that people don't really talk about that much that Mark Helfrich got fired is just the recruiting had fallen off so so badly. Um, and that, you know, Oregon had a number of players who came in in 2016, you know, like Justin Herbert, like uh, Troy Dye, you know, who were like, you know, who were like heroes uh, of that era that, you know, the, uh, and, and uh, you know, but we're talking about, you know, not not to besmirch them or anything, but like a lot of times for Oregon over the last five years or so, your veteran leaders and your guys who went through hell, you know, in that horrible four and eight season and that, you know, the real, you know, the character that that built, you're talking about three stars. 
and who are the veteran leaders for the Oregon 2022 football program? They're five stars like Noah Sewell, you know, right. they're, they're five stars like Bo Nix. Um, you know, I, I don't, you know, it's not like I, I played, you know, division one college football. I don't really know what it's like when a five star is your leader. And if that is it demonstrably different than when like, you know, again, I'm not taking shots at anybody, but like, you know, one of the defensive leaders through the 2020 and, and 2021 seasons was Jordan Happel, who was, you know, basically a walk on, right? Or Nate Heakalani, who was sort of forced into service as a senior walk on. And like, I, I don't know, man. I think it's probably is different um, when you're getting your leadership from a dude who's like, who can talk the talk, but who can't walk the walk as well as you can as a young hotshot. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, You talked about, or you talked earlier about, you know, respecting um, talent versus respecting leadership. And that's, I mean, somebody like Bo Nix, you you might respect him uh, because he's vocal in practice. I mean, whatever it is, he's, he's working, he's doing the job, he's working hard and so forth. But on the other hand, you can respect the guy because he's a talent. And when you come in as a five-star, that is just a different level than a lot of these athletes are currently at. doesn't mean they can't get there over the long term. But just the fact that the guy is super talented, these, these players will recognize that as something else to respect that brings leadership. Yeah, I mean, it just strikes me as, you know, that must be an interesting dynamic when it's like, Dude, the, the person who's telling me what to do is super talented and he's been around the program for three years, you know, and has gone through all of this stuff. Like, right. I, I suspect it probably hits different, mm-hmm. you know, if you're a true freshman and, and you're getting, you know, that right. kind of, you know, treatment. It's just like, yeah, if you're getting that from Noah Sewell, like that, that's probably a, something a little different than getting that from Nate Hayekalani, I, I suspect. I'm um, sure it is. So the other sort, you know, always is hot topic for for fall practices, how the quarterback battle is going. Have you been able to parse any of the practice reports uh, uh, as to how, you know, what the status of that race is? Well, this is an area where you get tons of coach speak, as as you said, and, you know, nobody wants to give anything away. Um, And and I, I think to some degree you don't want to disincentivize the guys that you don't see as the starter from continuing to work hard. You have to have them believe that they've got a shot at, if not the starting role, then the number two shot and maybe some backup, uh, you know, snaps in, in actual games. Um, you know, one of the things that Coach Landing has said repeatedly is that he believes he has more than one quarterback that the Ducks can win with. So that says a couple of things. One is, well, maybe the quarterback is why you're winning and, or maybe the quarterback is not hurting you so badly that you can't win. Um, but I, you know, I would say it, that it's better to be in that situation, the opposite situation, or one of the many opposite situations. It's better yeah. to be in that situation than like, we got to find the best of a bunch of bad options. Right. Which, Who frankly, hurts us? The, I think is what the school yeah. up north is probably right. looking at. Yeah. Um, and or or like all these guys have a big knock on them. Which one can I live with? Is probably how those guys are looking at it right now. And like I right. don't think that's what the case at Oregon is. And or like oh man, 
you know, only one of these guys can play. Um, I got to identify him and then I got to cross my fingers that no one ever gets, you know, in in trouble at all. You know, this situation, (laughs) you know, it looks like he's got three dudes who could totally win. And it's just figuring out like, okay, which one is a little bit better than the other two? Mm -hmm. You know, like that's. Uh, that's the situation that you want, you know. Not a terrible problem to have if, if uh, you know, if and again, it's coach speak. But if if Coach Landing really believes that he can win with the quarterbacks plural, which is how he's been phrasing it, he has in the room, then that's a great situation to be in. And I, you know, I think I think Nick's is still has to be the odds-on favorite to start. Georgia. Well, he's just so much vastly more experienced than the other That's guys. That's the thing. I mean, it's know. no nobody. He, he is hopefully, I wouldn't think, going to be intimidated by the setting or the size of the game or any of the stuff that goes on before these gigantic season openers between two highly ranked teams. He's been there. Uh, there's no reason for him to you know to have any weird adverse reaction uh, to to you know, playing against Georgia in a big game like that. And that's, yeah, you know, that, that alone he's played against happen. Georgia for the last three years, you know, the other thing is just sort of political, you know, like, you know, if Nix is selected and Nix has been, you know, pretty vocal about like, this is my last year playing college ball, even though he's going to have eligibility after this year remaining, um, is that like, it it preserves all your options, right? Like right. you know, technically, uh, Ty Thompson and J- because twenty twenty was a COVID, was a, a holiday year. Ty Thompson and Jay Butterfield are both redshirt freshmen. Um, right. You know, they have all their eligibility still ahead of them, uh, and they've got Dante Moore, the five star, coming in. If Nix is selected and he you know plays his one year and then leaves, then you have three young quarterbacks who get to battle it out, and of course all of them you know bet on themselves. On the other hand, if Nick if if Thompson or Butterfield is selected, you know Nix sort of sits on the bench and hopes somebody gets hurt, which is not a great situation, uh, and you know uh, you know whoever of the two freshmen is not selected is got to be like well that dude's got to have the job for the next couple of years and i've got dante moore coming in behind me like mm-hmm. that dude's going to feel the squeeze and transfer out absolutely um, and yeah, there's certainly no guarantee nicks can say whatever he wants about uh you know eligibility and one and done and all of that but there's no guarantee that's what's going to happen well, but, you know, what I'm saying is that, like, if Thompson is selected, then Butterfield's going to be like, well, between even if Nick's, oh, you know, yeah, right. assuming that Nick's does leave, but even if he stays, staying is worse, right? Like, staying mm-hmm. is just like, dude, now I've got to compete against three dudes and one of the freshmen, you know, got the job, you know, or vice versa. Butterfield is selected, right. you know, then then Thompson, you know, transfers out because he doesn't want to be in a squeeze between um, the, the, you know, a young starter and a you know, hot shot, you know, true freshman coming in. Um, whereas, you know, go with Nixon, it sort of solves those, you know, it, it preserves all of your options. So like, just like Nix's um, experience, I think acts as a tiebreaker. I also think sort of the politics acts as a tiebreaker that like, so my expectation is that the, you know, the coaches are, are never going to say this, but my expectation is that it, unless the gap between Thompson slash Butterfield above Knicks is enormous. Mm-hmm. 
that there's you shouldn't select one of them you should select nix like you should or or to put it another way you should select nix unless you believe that you can't win with nix and so right. as long as they are saying we can win with nix then like i feel like that's the safe bet yeah and i, I it will as i said it will surprise me if he is not the starter in georgia period uh, all right. Um, we'll look forward to your article uh, tomorrow. There's a lot more um, to discuss as well. Uh, you know, we've we've seen reports about, you know, some offensive line injuries. We've seen, you know, some reports about how, you know, different position battles. And I look forward to, to, to reading your article um, uh, about all that. All right. Let's take a break. Um, when we come back. Uh, we'll talk about some of the fall camp uh, battles that are going around around the Pac-12. Okay, so uh, over the course of the spring and summer, I was writing uh, uh, duck dive previews into all the different Pac-12 teams, uh, including Oregon. And I've been keeping an eye on all the fall camp practices, uh, you know, all of the little news releases and folks who are off the team and unexpected, you know, so forth. So, like, uh, that's going to be my article for next week is, you know, lots of little updates, you know, around the Pac-12. And I'll, I'll give my my season record predictions, you know, now that I, I'll have full information coming out of fall camp. Um, it's uh, it's been an interesting ride uh, throughout the summer. You know, a lot of teams are, are dealing with the transfer portal um, in different ways. You know, a lot of a lot of folks are suddenly losing kids that they were counting on uh, through the transfer portal. A lot of teams are like getting kids in uh, through the transfer portal that like weren't in place for spring practice, which is like that. That's always interesting, you know, and to, 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 to go through spring practice and be like, uh Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we need to plug a hole here. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, probably the most, uh, you know, probably the most significant in terms of, you know, both directions is Arizona state, like, boy, what a roller coaster, you know, I, in hindsight, it, it was probably a mistake to do those. I, I wrote my article about Arizona state, the second, uh, you know, number two in, in the order. Uh, and like immediately after, you know, I wrote my articles, a bunch of transfer actions that happened. Um, <laughs> You know, so like they lost Not a really. defensive lineman, Norman, Omar Norman Lott, but then he decided, I think, to come back. Um, they had a, uh, you know, they, they added a, a another, you know, Juco. Uh, he's on, you know, unrated. Um, on the other hand, they lost uh, a defensive lineman, Mattis, um, uh, for the season with an ACL injury. And one of their dudes um, uh, was arrested on a DUI in which a, you and the collision that that was that that was involved with he killed a pedestrian um you know that, that guy's not on the roster now um you know uh there's a couple other guys in the linebacking core who transferred out a defensive back you know transferred out there's a tight end that they're missing um you know so it's like you know immediately after i wrote my article they got one like one really good you know piece of news which was you know norman lott coming back um and then like a bunch of really bad news and, and like boy asu is not in a position to take you know bad news like oh my god man boy that program yeah i don't know what you do about you know some of these things are just it, they aren't you can't even say they're self-inflicted so some of it's just bad luck that yeah. happens to your squad and it's like how do you prepare for some of these things i don't know 
Yeah, you know, a, a kid suffering an ACL tear in, in camp, yeah. you know, like that just sucks, you know. Yeah. No, uh, all you can do is, you know, all you can do is try through strength and conditioning to get your athletes to the point where those sorts of injuries are less likely to happen. You're going to have all kinds of weird injuries. We've yeah, seen it certainly but, at Oregon. I mean, there's, you, you can't eliminate any of it. And, like, no. you, you also, you know, you can't you can't blame people for their injuries. Like, all of them are out there you no. know, practicing hard. Yeah. And, and that's the way that you want it. It's just, like, it's a it's a physical, violent game. You know, like, you know, stuff like that is, it's, to some extent, is inevitable. On the other hand, like, driving drunk, that's not inevitable. You know? Um, no. And, and, you know, I I don't want to be too hasty to, like, connect dots here in terms of, like, the, you know, the program culture at ASU and and be like, well, Herm Edwards is ultimately responsible for Stanley Lambert's DUI arrest. Um, But, like, you know, culture and discipline is a thing. Um, It is. And and for a pedestrian to to lose their life in a DUI, you know, is a tragedy. And and it's, uh, you know, frankly, you know, it's it's absurd and painful for us to be talking about it on a a sports podcast. But Mm -hmm. like, you know, one of the reasons why we have college athletics is that it is supposed to, you know, enrich young people's lives and and make their experiences better and make them better men and women. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, that's, the, the opposite of, of that is what's happening when somebody gets a DUI um, and, and, and harm someone else. Um, and, and like, you know, I'm, I'm not here to say that, you know, in another world in which Herm Edwards was a, you know, had a firmer control that like some of these, you know, awful events wouldn't happen. But like, there are definitely some awful things that have been happening with Arizona State, you know, in which, you know, this is the piper getting paid. Um, and, and as I, you know, I keep saying on this podcast, whenever we talk about other programs, we're ultimately really talking about Oregon, like, you know, I have to say I've been pretty happy the way with the way that Oregon has been running its program for, you know, for about as long as I can remember. Um, you know, there, there there have been tragedies. There have even been deaths. Um, but like, you know, I, I don't I don't see Urban Meyer stuff going on. At right. Oregon, yeah. And I'm pretty happy about that. Now, Oregon, you know, has has, I think, um, you know, it learned the lesson of some of some of the things that happened uh, when Chip Kelly was here, where you had a few players get a little bit out of control. And I, I think that the, the more recent uh, coaching staffs have put a little higher premium on, um, you know, the quality of the young man that they're recruiting. And, you know, a lot of times you can talk to the folks that they that know them from their high school and from their communities and find out a lot about them, uh, what kind of, of young man that they are for when they come and play football for your school. And so you can weed out some of those problems before they happen. That does not mean well, that people don't get in college and go sideways, because that certainly happens, too. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess I I put it this way, you know, Oregon under Mario Cristobal hit, recruited a couple of kids who were like, did not wind up making it to Eugene because they did some pretty horrible stuff, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and your ability to, you know, 
I, I don't know. I think reasonable people can disagree about your ability to detect that sort of thing in someone's character, a young man's character before it happens. Like, I think there are some people who could make pretty persuasive arguments that you can. I think there are some other people who could make some pretty persuasive arguments that you cannot. But, mm-hmm. you know, what I, you know, the, to to me, you know, as a fan of the institution and the, the athletics programs that it fields, the, the important thing is they didn't play at Oregon. You know, it's right. like nobody was making excuses for those guys. And like, right. you know, Oregon's first trip to the playoffs uh, was, you know, against a Florida State team where, you know, I can tell you from having studied that team a lot, uh, not just on the field stuff, but like I had to keep track of all of them throughout the news was just like there wasn't really any institutional control in that program. There was a lot of stuff that was being swept under the rug at Florida State. And like, you know, I got to say it feels, you know, I'm not trying to like stick my nose up in the air here but like it 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 feels good to be rooting for a team that you feels good to be rooting for you know absolutely um yeah it's not like, it isn't just winning games um or you know winning or losing games it's a matter of is it can you be proud of the program as a whole not just whether or not the field results are good uh i, I think most duck fans i you know the ones that i know anyway would not don't want to have a team that, uh, you know, has a lot of off-field problems or, you know, the kinds of things that you see in other programs and would would trade winning games for that. Okay, we'll take some of the, the bad players uh, who have, you know, these, these societal problems of one kind or another, and we'll trade that for more wins. I don't think there's many, there are many Duck fans, certainly the ones that I know, that would make that kind of a bargain. They'd much prefer I mean, I think those fans both. do exist, man. Like, I'm I sure they, they do exist. Do. I just don't, they're not the kind of people that I associate with. Well, I, good for you, I guess. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, my, my point about Florida State was that it was a little farther, you know, I, I want to take the point farther than that, which is that, like, you know, there were some pretty nasty allegations um, about, and by nasty, I don't mean the person who was making the allegations was a nasty right. person. I mean, the subject matter of right. the allegations what was yeah. like, was stuff that I don't like to think about. Um, and, you know, the thing that in trying to like, were you know, playing detective, you know, trying to resolve what happened, what I very quickly came to the realization of was that I was never going to get to the bottom of it because the adults who were supposed to be in the room, everybody from the coach to the athletic department to the uh, police departments, um, what all of them were interested in excusing that behavior and putting it under the rug and that, you know, whether the, you know, the quarterback was falsely accused or, you know, correctly accused, we're, I mean, our ability to know the truth of that matter was hindered by a bunch of adults who were not acting like adults because football was king. And, and, you know, you know, the, the, the order of things was upside down, you know, a 19 year old or wherever it was kid who, who threw a football real good, you know, was in charge of the city of Tallahassee. Um, and, and not the other way around. And like, and, and that sucks. It, and it sucks for him, too. Sure. Um, you What's know, the lesson not, there? You know, it, it, it sucks for everybody because, you know, the, 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 you know, not like 
boy, I mean, I, you know, I don't want to apologize for police departments throughout the United States who frequently are dropping the ball on sexual assault allegations. Like, I, you know, I don't want to say, well, if football wasn't involved, then this would 100% be a totally resolved yeah, case to everybody's satisfaction because yeah. I don't know, man. Um, you know, I don't know about that case, at all. But like, it was definitely the case that because of, you know, football was king in that, you know, mm-hmm. circumstance that like somebody yep. who probably should have been, you know, had the, the, you know, some sense knocked into him didn't and you know everybody including that player you know pays the price you know for it because of you know because of you know pretty backwards priorities you know regarding football and 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 i guess you know when i look at oregon yeah i do think that the program has sometimes you know made some excuses for players that they shouldn't have made excuses for but like in general you know as sort of a general proposition i don't see that same sort of sickness um Mm-hmm. at Oregon. Yeah, I don't in, see the same the, sort of like know, upside down quality to Oregon and, and like that's pretty much the only thing that keeps me going. I think if it ever got upside down like that where if they were like heightened concussions you know or, or some of the other like real nasty stuff that I've seen um, you know associated with college football like I, I don't know man like I, I might be out um, but I'm not because I, I think that Oregon is, is a program that I can feel good about rooting for. Absolutely. I, I ho- and, and I hope that continues. If- you know, if in the Florida State situation, if the, the person had not been a football player who, who allegedly committed this offense, uh, your chances of something happening go way up. Now, like you said, I mean, I agree, I, it's not 100% that something would have happened through the, through the legal system and the court system. But I think the cover-up that took place, protection, I guess, is a better word of that player because of football would not have taken place for anybody else in that society. I I mean, yeah, I, I, I can't come to any other conclusion. And I I also come to the conclusion that that's probably not the case at Oregon. I mean, I hope not. Another thing, you know, we got onto the subject because we were talking about like, you know, all, all the sort of cultural you know, problems that are happening at ASU and how that might spill over to like stuff that's not on the football field. You know, I was one of the other like uh, news updates that I learned, you know, as I'm getting ready to write my, my update article next week about all the different Pac-12 teams is, um, you know, w- when we talked to Michael Hanna um, of the UCLA B team uh, podcast, you know, I-, I was having a hard time sorting out because um, the U- UCLA, the university, um, was not you know it took them forever to post their official roster they were you know three months behind everybody else they finally (laughs) did on august 4th and um and so anyway but i was talking to michael you know well before that and i was like dude you got to help me out because you're you know you've got more direct access to the program you got to tell me these kids who are like is this kid actually on the team is this kid not on the team you know you got to tell me and you know one of the positions where i was really sort of like you really got to help me is the offensive line because there were a bunch of dudes who are apparently not at practices and ucla really needs offensive linemen particularly they need offensive tackles like they're really in a jam about this um and 
you know, it's pretty salient, uh, you know, to keep this, keep track of this. You know, they lost both of their offensive tackles and they sort of have nobody to replace them. And it was really confusing what the status of their offensive line was. And so I was, you know, grilling Michael, like as a student on the team, and it's sort of thrown up in his hands at a couple of these guys. Well, one of them is a guy named Patrick Cole, um, who was not showing up practices. Well, the, the, the news report that we got is that he's decided to retire from um, college football after, uh, you know, attempting suicide. Oh. And and um but you know he feels like um well he he feels like retiring from football is appropriate for him and he feels like you know that that more mental health you know support uh you know is something that he needs and you know what i was you know when i when i learned about this you know i i i was looking around um uh, you know for confirmation you know and and in commentary and um i was uh, dreading a little bit checking out you know ucla forums and twitter and so forth to you know because there was part of me that was expecting to see a bunch of like you know calling them soft and and some other names and i didn't see a single iota of that not at all like in fact i i kind of got morbidly curious about it and i kept digging you know i was trying to find like well let me see if i can find the worst human being in the world who, who'd say you know something awful <laughs> yeah. about it i couldn't find a single one yeah, you know um you know i really like i guess this is like west coast triumphalism segment of the podcast but like i really feel like you know that sort of made me feel proud by reference you know so you know ucla is mm-hmm. ditching the pac-12 so i don't know why i'm going to feel proud of a pac-12 team that doesn't <laughs> want to be in the pac-12 anymore but like um but like i don't know maybe feel good as a west coaster maybe you know it's just like the yeah you know like there's there's been a lot of like bitching about the pac-12 you know like the sec's motto is it just means more and the like clever pac-12 right. retort is like here it means you know just about the right amount like this is the amount that <laughs> yeah. you should be crazy about college football right. and not yeah. anymore and like but you know I'll, I'll turn that from a joke to like a serious statement yeah that's exactly how you should approach a, a player who's going through mental health you yeah. know issues and a suicide attempt and like I, I felt pretty proud of the UCLA you know fan base it was like you know good for you guys um, well it, sh- it does show that that aspect of uh, society and, and college sports specifically, the mental health of the people involved in these sports and otherwise has become a, a focus in recent months and years. And mm-hmm. it, that is the reaction that I think you would be hoping for. When, when they started out with this and thought, you know, we need to do something about the acceptance of people that, that need additional support mentally to do these whatever they are, go to college to play uh, on one of the teams, etc. I think that response that you found, which is no one coming forward and saying, ah, this guy's just weak, you know, he's a loser, uh, would, would be what they would hope for, that that is how people should treat it. And so it's encouraging. I agree. I think it's encouraging that, uh, you know, the, the UCLA fan base broadly drawn uh, reacted the way that they did. The last thing that I'll note before uh, uh, we move on to a different 
subject, uh, you know, that, that I'm going to be covering in my, my article updating all the Pac-12 teams is uh, Oregon um, finally released their, their official uh, heights and weights. You know, I don't know why um, it took them so long to, to do so. Uh, it, it seemed like they had released one that was earlier in the offseason, but like it, it, it was like it was all wrong. It was like DBs were listed at 300 pounds. It was like, no, this, <laughs> this can't be right. You know, like someone made a clerical error. And then they took it down and I figured it's like, oh, this is going to, it's going to be a day and they're going to find the little like, oh, you know, all the cells were incremented down one. Oops. You know, or something like that. But then it didn't take a day. It took months. Um, You know, they had an accurate player list. You know, this wasn't a UCLA thing where they just won't tell you who's on the team. They told you who's on the team. They just didn't have any weights. Um, And... uh, and so anyway, um, you know, pretty much everybody's weights were as what I expected them to be, you know, that and all of them were, I think, or sort of appropriate to their positions or sort of like two interesting notes. One is that like sort of across the board, the linebackers has been getting a little slimmer, which okay. like makes sense with uh, with with this defensive structure. They definitely want the linebackers to be um, faster. Um and the other thing that I noted was just it was it was interesting because I specifically noted it in my article that there's a defensive lineman for Oregon, uh, Trevor uh, Mae, um, who, you know, it's crazy. I think he's put on 70 pounds since he arrived Whoa. at Oregon. Um, what? But it's it's like every spring game that I see him, he gains like 30 pounds. Um, it's crazy. So anyway, his. His official weight at the time that the spring game was played was like 249 pounds. And I specifically tagged it in my article, mm-hmm. you know, when I wrote about Oregon, I think in June, um, that was like, look, uh, I believe that this guy is either going to be a first or first string or rotational defensive lineman, but he can't be that at 250 pounds. But I also watched him in the spring game and there's no way that he's 250 pounds. I think that he's probably 270 to 275. um, And we just need to wait for the official roster to give us, you know, what his weigh in, you know, is, but I expect it's going to be somewhere in that range and then he'll be fine. And so sure enough, you want to guess what his uh, weight was on the official roster? 275. 272. Right in the middle of the range that I guess. Wow. So apparently this is a skill that I've developed over <laughs> years of doing film studies. You know, you I always you know, be able to work in a carnival. Yeah, exactly. Uh, if my, know, my, my yeah, exactly. If <laughs> if every all else fails, I can go work in a carnival as a guess your weight person, assuming that you are a college student who likes playing college football. Step uh, right up. <laughs> All right, let's take a break. Uh, We come back. uh, We will talk about, I think, for the third week running more tales of the Georgia film study. All right. So uh, here's what the chronology for my Georgia film study was. I uh, I first did a crash course on Georgia's defense because I needed to write a like a Dan Lanning article, like a theory mm-hmm. of right. the defense, you know, kind of deal. But I I pretty specifically, you know, I, I wanted to, I, I wanted to get the like. The, the like the principles of it um i didn't want to uh put together like a highlight reel you know of like uh, here's what their fantastic players can do um and then the other sort of problem is that like they're losing a whole lot of their best players on the defense so like you know i, I what i said to myself was like okay i'm gonna do that 
and then I'm going to do the offense and then I'm going to come back and do the defense with like a fine tooth comb because what I really need to do is pick out the returning players and figure out if those guys are any good. So like that's been this whole process is like I watched, uh, you know, I watched enough of their defense to be able to write an article about the theory of their defense. And then I did all the offense stuff. And I talked about that last week, you know, all the lessons that I learned from watching their offense. And so this week, this week's project has been going back and ran watching other, you know, parts of the Georgia defensive tape to like pick out. All right, let's figure out whether or not the returning Georgia defensive football players can play football. And uh, I have some answers to that question. Um, I'm not completely done yet, but, you know, I could give you a little sneak preview if you wanted to know. Absolutely. Um, so the here's what the really interesting thing is. Um, I, I really feel like they, they I, without a doubt, the the best part of Georgia's defense was their defensive line. Um they had three starters who were just really tremendous. Um, they had Jordan Davis, the really big guy in the middle, um, who's like that dude. He, he, I mean, that dude was built like the the kingpin and moved like Spider Man. Like it was, I mean, it was just ridiculous. Like human beings that size should not be able to do that. He should be shearing right. all of his joints out of place every time he makes a cut. And yet, you know, I mean, it's just phenomenal, you know, watching that guy. Um, but then, but, and he got a lot of the headlines and attention, you know, and as well he might, but the, the, the other two guys who should have been getting a lot of attention were, uh, Devonte Wyatt, um, who is another big, you know, he's a four eye guy, but he was big enough that he could slide over and play like one technique as well. He was really good. He had that exactly that skill set that you would want, um, for, for that position. And then, uh, also really interesting was number 44 Trayvon Walker um, is really interesting because he's so versatile. He is officially a defensive end and he is as you know, big and strong as you want a defensive end can be. He can definitely can contain the end. He can definitely attack the tackle. Um, he, he's all you would want in a defensive end, but he is also light and fast enough that he can drop into coverage and play like a sort of ersatz OLB. Um, in fact, there's this really cool play that I'm going to put in my article in which both Walker and Nolan Smith, the OLB, drop out into coverage. The pressure comes from the ILB because this is Dan Lanning. Simulator pressure is kind of his deal. Um, Walker winds up tipping the pass and uh, Smith, the OLB, winds up getting the interception. It's like an all linebacker, you know, pick. Uh, you know, everybody involved in making that pick happen was either a linebacker or defensive end. No defensive backs involved. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, because that's, you know, because that's sort of the magic of this defense is that it's so versatile so like now all three of those dudes that i've mentioned jordan davis uh Devontae wyatt and trayvon walker are departing um yes. and here's the thing the, the guys who are playing behind them that one of them i think is really good jalen carter um number 88 like i think he is easily capable of replacing Devontae wyatt and is like maybe 80 percent of jordan davis which like 80 percent of jordan davis is better than any Pac-12 defensive lineman, yeah. <laughs> uh, or most anyway. Um, you know, he's the real deal. I don't really have any doubts about him. Um, the problem is the other two guys who got a bunch of um, play, they're not bad. It's Tramel Walter and 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 Zion Logue. Um, they're not bad at all. Again, they'd be starters at every Pac-12 team. Um, but the thing is, like, they they don't 
they're just Jalen Carter light, you know, they're, they're, they're just like, you know, second and third version of Jalen Carter um, mm-hmm. or Devontae Wyatt. Um, like they, they really are. It does not appear. And maybe, you know, maybe I'll find out they have somebody waiting in the wings like this, but at least, you know, for my film study at this point, it doesn't appear like they've got another superhuman freak like Jordan Davis. And I mean, like, how could you expect yeah. there to be? Right. Um, but it wild. also doesn't appear that they have like one of those super versatile, um, you know, defensive ends like Trayvon Walker. Um, now they are returning Nolan Smith, the outside linebacker. I think he's their best defensive player that they're returning. Like, I really think he's good. Um um, but they're losing another one of their outside linebackers, Adam Anderson. He has some legal trouble. I actually need to, to look nope. up exactly what his status is. Um, I, I think it's bad. Um, so anyway, like, you know, and then they're also losing all three of their inside linebackers. They, they, they play two inside linebackers at any given moment, but they were pretty liberally rotating between those three guys. It'd be, you know, like a and B and then B and C and then a and C, you know what I mean? Um, but they're losing all three of them. And like, you know, uh, the, the only reps that went to anybody else were, you know, garbage time reps. And those are pretty low quality. They're losing their starting nickelback, but they bring back the backup nickelback. They're losing their, uh, starting, one of their starting, you know, defensive, uh, you know, tr- traditional safeties. They're bringing back, you know, two guys who are rotating at the other position. Um, they're losing, you know, one of their cornerbacks who basically got, you know, who, who played on every single snap. Um, they are the other on the other side of the field. It was actually interesting. They had two guys. The first guy who started was a mere speed. Um, he he wound up getting surpassed um, midway through the season by a true freshman, Keely Ringo, who uh, Oregon fans may recall Oregon and Georgia went down to the wire and the recruitment of that guy. So it was really interesting to see a true freshman beat out a more established player. Um, Amir speed is transferred out. I think we all know why. Um, so, you know, no doubt that Ringo will be, you know, the full-time starter. I think that, and I mean, I'm not really trying to disrespect him at all here. Like, and he was a true freshman. You have to take any true freshman cornerback response uh, performance with a grain of salt and understand that they always get better their sophomore year, like substantially, like that's the biggest jump. So I'm not really trying to run down Keely Ringo here, but it simply as a statement of fact of the, whatever, you know, I think that it was 20 different human beings that they were regularly playing playing you know prior to garbage time on the defense like i i think that keely if you had to like make a ranked list out of those 20 dudes from strongest to weakest or strongest would be jordan davis the guy in the bottom of that list would be keely ringo and like he's the only returning cornerback that they have with some experience and like and that it was a somewhat problematic 2021 season um so like man they are missing a lot you know, from their defense, um, some positions, I think they'll be better off than other, you know, like, I don't, I don't think they're going to have any problems with, you know, with the, 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 the nickelback situation. Um, I think they'll probably be fine at the other, you know, traditional defensive backs situations. I think that they'll be fine at outside linebacker because Nolan Smith and Robert Beal are really good and that you really only need one or two, you know, in that system and they've got it. Um, I think, you know, Jalen Carter, the defensive lineman is going to be pretty good, but like, I think I'm done you know listing all the the dudes that like i have a high degree of confidence in like everybody else is sort of like i guess we'll find out because they really only played during garbage time and garbage time is garbage time for a reason um there's and then of course you know it's hard to quantify this but like losing dan lanning you know like who i sort of think like i don't know you know any oregon fan is gonna think this of course but like 
I feel like I have accumulated a good deal of evidence that indicates that Lanning was the secret sauce that like his wow. maybe intuitive understanding, because like that defense has been around for a while and mm -hmm. it's always pretty good. The, the sort of mint defense that originates at Alabama and, you know, goes with, you know, you know, with Kirby smart to Georgia, you know, like I, I feel like the difference you know, the, 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 the best version that I saw of it was the one that a had Dan Lanning figuring out when you should blitz and from where and how to use simulated pressures and B had superhuman athlete, Jordan Davis, you know, at the front of it. And neither of those things are going to obtain for Georgia, uh, in 2022. So I don't know, man, I, I kind of, I kind of, you know, I still don't really know what to think about Oregon's offense, but like, man, I, I kind of think that's going to be a more competitive matchup than a lot of people think. Um, well, you sound hopeful. And, and so the other thing, of course, the other side of it, of course, is like, like you say, we don't really know what to think of Oregon's offense. The good thing is that we have at least some coaches on landing and then on the offensive side of the ball who uh, understand the defense. They understand what that defense is sure, trying. The, the to double talk. agent Dan Lanning theory. Yeah, exactly. And that and and doesn't mean that, you know, Georgia can't make changes or run things a little bit differently or disguise what, you know, what they're trying to do. But, you know, the fact of the matter is that we should have, that Oregon should have a little bit better insight uh, into the defense that Georgia is going to run than they would have if they kept Cristobal or they'd hired some completely unrelated head coach to replace him. Oh man. I haven't even contemplated that hypothetical for a while now. Um, <laughs> I mean like Dan Lanning was hired before they even played, you know, before Georgia was even done with their season. Right. Um, yeah. You know, like I haven't been thinking about the alternate timeline in which, you know, in which Lanning is not Oregon's head coach for months and months and months, man. Like, I live in alternative timelines. Yeah, right. I mean, that's, the only thing that works for me yeah so i you know stay tuned everybody it's gonna you know i, I will um i will publish my full georgia preview and when i say georgia preview i mean unlike the the what dan, what's dan lanning's defense about you know article that i published earlier this month this article that i will publish you know the week before the game probably like the the the, the last couple some sometime in the last couple of days of august you know the, the monday the 29th or tuesday the 30th maybe um because the game is on saturday the third um so like a couple of days in advance of the game um i will publish my you know georgia preview article in which i I will actually run down, you know, what the who the returning personnel, you know, is. Well, it'll look like all the other preview articles that I write about teams. You know, it'll have a bunch mm -hmm. of film clips about like here. This dude is probably going to be the starter and here's his strengths and weaknesses. And they like to do this in this situation. And so that works when they offense do this. But you can attack them if they do that. You know, it'll be a sort of a strategic planning document as I enjoy writing. Um, I've got a lot to write about. You know, Georgia gave me a lot of film to work with. A lot, a lot of is very interesting. Um, I've enjoyed the project certainly, um, and uh, and I definitely, I, I guess you know if I if I have a takeaway message at this point, you know before I write my article, um, my for for listeners of the podcast, your little bonus that you get for listening to it, it my takeaway would be like. I watched what every advanced statistician concluded is the greatest defense to ever play college football. And wow. I, I, and 
at the end of that project, knowing that Oregon has to play them in the opener, my response is not cringing in terror or shaking in my boots. My <laughs> response is like, yeah, they're pretty good at this and this and this. I think it would be a mistake to attack them in this way and that way. I think they're vulnerable here and there. I think that, you know, replacing this unit is going to be problem. You know, like, I, I, you know, I, I am going into this project the same way that I go into, you know, many of the projects that I write about. I sort of feel the same way writing about Georgia or as I sit, sit down to start writing about Georgia as I did when I sat down to start writing about Ohio State last year. This is like, yeah, this is a really good team. Here are the areas where they're vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Um you know, yes. I, I, I certainly can't, you know, predict that Oregon is definitely going to win this, that game just because Oregon beat Ohio State and Columbus. But like sort of where my gut's at. Yep. They've shown they can do it. Yeah. I mean, a different team, obviously, both playing a different team and a different team uh, coming out of Eugene. But they they the program has shown it can go on the road and beat a big opponent uh, in their home stadium. Yeah. Like an elite blue blood, you know, yeah. kind of, and they're not going to be playing in Athens. They're going to be playing in Atlanta, but you know, right. what's the difference? Anyway, it's a, it's a, home, yeah. it's a home game for Georgia. Uh, you know, my, my, my takeaway is not like Oregon fans don't watch this game. It's going to be painful. Like right. that's, that's not my takeaway at all. Good. Excellent. All right. I think that's going to do it for us uh, for this podcast. Any closing thoughts for us, Slurms? Just hope uh, everybody can get out to the uh scrimmage uh, on Saturday should be interesting to see what the results of that are and how people are plugged into slots mm -hmm. uh, based on the competitions that have been happening. All right. Okay. Take care, everybody. We'll catch you on the flip side.